0: Morning too. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors down here at Rimrock Downtown, um, and I've had the uh, privilege and honor to um, just walk through this series with you guys um, in First John. And uh, this morning, we're actually just going to wrap this uh, this series up um, in preparation for Christmas and uh, and our Christmas Eve service. But um, we're going, to, we're going to wrap it up and, and, and finish it off so, and bring it home, okay? Um, so First John, uh, we've kind of titled this series, The Way, okay? And uh, I kind of look at it as, what is John doing here? He's trying to show us, in what way uh, does he want us to live out our faith? In what way does John want us to live out this walk and, and this relationship with Jesus? And I think through, through the, the, the letter and the book of First John, uh, John, we've seen that, uh, that John's given us about three kind of components, three, three ideas of how to live out this faith. One being walk in the light. Walk in the light. Number two, love God and love others. That's what it means to walk in the light. To love God and love others. And number three, to be confident and secure in what we have. To be confident and secure in what we have. And this is what we're really going to dive into um, in this last passage as we look at the letter of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, turn there uh, and read along with me or else we have uh, have it on the screen too. Um, But would you stand with me as I read this passage and we're in 1 John chapter 5 verses 13 through 21 John says I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You may be seated. Amen. So, the first question I want to ask as we jump into this passage that I think it's important to ask anytime you're reading scripture is who is John, the author, writing this to? Who is he addressing? In this, And lucky for us in this passage, he's very plain and very clear in saying that I write these things to you who believe, to you who believe. And this word believe, Ben last week pointed out so clearly that it's more than just believing in facts or logic or understanding about God. It's more than just believing about God. It's more than just doctrine and having the right doctrine or having the right theology. It's more than believing in those things because you can know a lot about someone without actually knowing them. I just recently got done uh, reading through or listening on audiobook through the book uh, Seven Men by Eric Metaxas, And he goes through Seven Men, uh, their little autobiographies. George Washington, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, Eric Little, all these men, I know a lot about them now. But I I don't truly know them. So he's saying, know God, not just about. To those who know God, Carl Rayner, a Jesuit priest, said this, knowing God is more important than knowing about God. Simple. Knowing God is more important than knowing about God. So he's saying there's a depth to this believing, that I'm writing this to those who really believe. And he says, who believe in the name, in the name of the Son of God. And that's significant. Because did you know that the the most important, most meaningful, and most significant word in any language no matter what language you speak, is your name, is someone's name. And I, I've seen this firsthand. I'm sure if we think about it, we all have seen this firsthand. But I saw this firsthand at how significant a name was. And I work with high school kids, a lot of high school kids. And one day, about a little, under, a little less than a year ago, I was walking through Rapid City High School, and I met this kid named Mason. And I introduced myself, I asked him what his name was, I said Mason, and uh, and we went along our way. And about a week later, I walk through the the halls of Rap City High School again and I, I see Mason and I said, Hey, what's up Mason? How's it going? And he gives me the so you know, of course, right? And we go along, and we, we start, I, I keep saying, hey, Mason, and, and, and talking to him, and we start uh, having this, this friendship, and, and about a year goes by, and this is not too long ago now, where Mason and I, we're, we're hanging out, and he invites his friend, who I had met previously a little like a week ago before this, and her name was Hannah. And we were, we were hanging out, and I said, you know, he, he shows up with Hannah, and I said, hey, what's up, Hannah? And she says, whoa, you remembered my name. And Mason says, yeah, right, he remembered my name too when we first met. And I had no clue the significance of that. I had no clue how Mason felt about me even remembering his name. Because what's in a name? A name means relationship. That there is a relationship there. To know someone's name, to call them by name, is a relationship. And John is writing to those who have said yes to a relationship. A relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. It's beyond knowing about him. It's about knowing him. John is calling us into this relationship. What makes up a relationship, a friendship? What does it look like to have a friendship with God, with Jesus? Well, it's like any other relationship, any other friendship that you would have, that you can have this with Jesus, the God of the universe. What is in a relationship, in knowing someone and being known by them? A few things that I would say you need in a relationship. And I would encourage you to take note of these and ask yourselves do I have this with Jesus? Number one, time. You need time with that person. You cannot have a relationship without spending time with that person. You'd be a fool to say that I have a friendship with someone who I never spend time with. So many people say that Jesus and their faith is the most important part of their lives, yet if you ask them how much time intentionally they spend one-on-one with Jesus, it's not very much. Time, discovery, learning about one another... Learning about who Jesus is and and learning about what he knows about you. Relationship is discovery and coming to know that more things about that person. Honesty. This is a big one. Being honest with them. How many of us are honest with God? are honest with Jesus? Or how many of us just smile and give the cheesy, canned, rote answers to God and tell him what he wants to hear from us? This is what I'm supposed to say to God, so I'm just going to give him what he wants to hear in my life but never share what I'm really feeling inside. You see, God can take it, though. God can take Anything you offered him, and he wants your honesty. He wants the real you. He wants your real emotions, even if it's ugly. He wants honesty. Or how many of us just simply avoid talking to God because we don't want to be honest with him or ourselves? Honesty is a huge part of a relationship. Listening. How many of us just listen to God? How many of us, when we pray, if we pray, would say that they listen to God? Or when we pray, if we pray, who's doing most of the talking? You see, God wants to have a conversation with us. He wants to have a dialogue with us. But most of our prayers are a monologue of us just blabbering to God. And never stopping to just listen. And here's my challenge for you this week. Five minutes. Take five minutes a day. And just sit still and listen. Don't talk. Be with God and just listen. Which reminds me of my other one is silence. How many of us are just silent with God? One of the things I love most about my relationship with Sharon, my wife, is that we can just go to a coffee shop and just be with each other and not talk. And just be. We don't have any, like, expectations of what we're supposed to say or what we're supposed to do. We're just with each other. And I love that. How many, how many times can we just sit and just be with God with no expectations? You see, I, I think that most of the times when we're, we're spending time with God, we have this agenda or we have this, this feeling that we need to do something or say something or experience something. But how about just be? How about change? A relationship requires change. Now, I don't think you can have a true, genuine relationship without change. Think of the the most influential and impactful relationships that you've had in your life and how they've changed you for the better or for the worse they change you in verse 18 John says that we know that everyone who has been born of God who has a relationship with God does not keep on sinning there is change in our life a couple weeks ago a few weeks ago um, I shared a story about my life But when I realized and understood that there was a change going on in my life, that I wasn't the same person I was, I could not keep doing the same things because of this relationship I now had with Jesus. There's change in our life. And so John is calling us into this relationship. And why is he calling us into this relationship? And what is, what's his purpose in this passage to call us into relationship? To show us that relationship gives us the confidence to ask and to receive things from God. He says in verse 14 and 15, he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. Relationship gives us the confidence to come to Jesus and to ask him the things of our heart. And knowing the heart and character of God, which only comes from relationship, gives us the freedom to come to him, knowing that he's ready to receive. He's ready for us. I had a friend named Ted Johnson who recently passed away, and he was just known for if, if, if we called him up, he knew us. He knew our hearts. If we called him up, he'd answer this way. The answer is yes. What do you need? <laughs> because he knew us, and say, he would say, if you're calling, it's got to be good. The answer is yes. What do you need? Ted Johnson had the heart of Jesus to be ready to receive. Jesus gives us this, this beautiful picture of the father's heart in this. with In Luke 15, when he talks about the, the prodigal son and his father, or I would say the prodigal sons and their father, because the one son, he takes his father's inheritance, and he just runs off and, and lives this wild life and just spoils all his inheritance, and he's at the bottom of the barrel and he's thinking to himself, man, my father's hired servants, my father's slaves live better lives than I do now. If only I could just come to him and maybe ask if I could just be his servant. And so he decides to come to to his father, but what he doesn't know is that his father is looking for him. His father is there waiting for him to come back. And when his father sees him from a long ways off, his father runs to him to meet him. And he hugs him. Before he even has a chance to speak, he hugs him. He embraces him. He says, let's throw a party. Get the cow. Let's throw a feast. And his father was ready for him. And if he would have just known his father's heart, had that relationship, he could have just come to him and asked him, asked him for the farm, and his father would have given it to him. Because we also see the other brother who's bitter and jealous and angry at his father's reaction, and he says, I've served you this whole time, I've given you all this, thi- this stuff, I've given you my, my life and myself, and you've never given me this thing. You've never given me a party or a feast or anything And his father says this. Have it up here. Look at this. His father said, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. All you have to do is ask. I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to give you everything you need. And so we have this picture of the father's heart and the relationship that He wants with us, that we are ready to come to Him, and ask Him whatever we need. John goes into an interesting couple lines um, about praying for others, and uh, I want to share just two thoughts on this. I have more and if you want to want to talk more about it. I'm, I'm willing for you to reach out to me and talk more about it. But a couple thoughts that I have. And it's some challenging lines about praying for others, okay, and what this means. He says, if, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that do, does lead to death. I do not say that one should pray for this. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And that's a, 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 an interesting passage right there, but here's my thoughts. That one, we have to read this like there's a context to read it in. Is there something specific that John is confronting? Is there something specific going on that he's referring to in this letter that is written to this people? Because if we don't acknowledge that there is something specific going on, that he might be acknowledging something that we have to take into context, we risk ripping it out of context and totally missing what it's all about. If I were to guess, it probably has to do with what John has been confronting in this whole letter, which is the idea of Gnosticism. The idea that our physical bodies are evil and wicked, and there's nothing good in them and, um, and that there's, there's not life that you can be, be experienced. It's, it's this waiting for this uh, after-death spiritual experience. And John is confronting this because when he talks about life, when John talks about eternal life, he is not referring and talking about life after death. He's talking about life right now that we can experience right now in our physical bodies. When John when, when Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He did not mean life after death. He meant life right now, that we can experience life that Jesus has to offer us right here, right now, in our physical bodies. John says that sin is sin. All wrongdoing is sin. But if one chooses to destroy and end the physical life right now, he can't experience the life that I'm talking about. He can't experience the life that we can experience right here, right now. But if someone is living in sin that's not resulting in a swift physical death, then they are invited to this life. They are invited to life and we should pray that they should receive it. And if that's us, we should pray that we should receive this life that's available right here, right now. So how do we know we are living in this truth and in this life? In an age of relativism where truth is muddied by all sorts of things in our world and in our life, how do we know truth and no life i don't know if this image is going to pop up correctly but i stole this image from evan that he shared a few weeks ago and i wanted just the the gray black and white part but this is an idea and a picture of relativism where there's white and there's black and there's all the gray in between and how do we know where we're at as we live this life how do we know that we were in the light John says that God sent his son Jesus so that we can know, so that we may know the truth. Because knowing Jesus means knowing the truth. And knowing truth means knowing Jesus. If we know Jesus and believe and have that relationship with him we will know the truth and if if unless every single part of our life is centered surrounded filtered and saturated by who Jesus is we will have idols in our life unless every single part of our life is centered on Jesus we will have idols In our life, Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I believe that is very literal in all your ways, in every single part of your life not just the part that goes, that gets up on Sunday mornings and goes to church, not just the part that goes to the morning Bible study on Wednesday mornings, not just the part of the church where you show up to the mission and serve, not just those parts, but every single part of our life. Our work. How is Jesus a part of our work? Our family, how is Jesus the center of our family? Our friendships and relationships, is Jesus saturating our friendships and surrounding our friendships and our relationships? How about our hobbies? Our hobbies and the things that we do, the things that we put our time, money, and energy in, whether it's... Rock climbing or hunting or shopping or whatever it is, how is it centered? How is it filtered? How is it saturated by the relationship that you have with Jesus? Our conversations. How does how we speak to others and about others surrounded and filtered and saturated by who Jesus is in our life? The things that we do in the privacy of our own home, our internet searches, how are these things filtered and surrounded and saturated by Jesus? Is every single part of our life centered, surrounded, filtered, saturated? by Jesus and the relationship that we have with him. John says, children, keep yourselves from idols by holding on to Jesus. He is the truth, and we are in the truth when we are in him. Let's pray. Jesus Be the center of our lives. Be the thing that our mind goes to. Your word says take every thought captive and make it obedient to you. Take every thought. Jesus, this week, may our thoughts, may our time, may our energy be poured into who you are and be flowing out of who you are in our lives God thank you for showing us for sending us your son that we may have life right here right now amen